listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. Trinity Church Chester is a new church seeking to reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of our ministry is our Sunday worship service, in which we hear a sermon preached from a particular part of the Bible. We're glad you're listening. We'd love to see you in person at the Welsh Presbyterian Church Building on St. John Street in the city centre. We meet there every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can find more details on our website trinitychester.church Come and join us as we seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 to 26. Let's hear God's word. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. This is God's word. Well, as I mentioned here at Trinity, we're continuing with a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, This list of um, virtues that the Apostle Paul lists for us in Galatians 5. And we're on the home straight now uh, with only three of these nine virtues left to look at. Uh, These virtues or these characteristics are things that Paul outlines will become more and more characteristic of the person who is a Christian. The person who repents of their sin, who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ and follows him undergoes a complete transformation of life in a very real sense. When you become a Christian, you become an entirely new person. And this new life that is planted within you by the Holy Spirit begins to then work itself out in what Paul refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. Today we're coming to the seventh virtue in that list. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul writes in verse 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness. Faithfulness. I've got four headings for you this afternoon as we look at what it means to be a person characterised by faithfulness. What it is, why we need it, why it's important, where we find it, and how we grow in it. What it is, why we need it, where we find it, and how we grow in it. Firstly then, what is it? What does Paul have in mind when he refers to the Christian as a person characterised more and more by faithfulness? 
Uh, Well, we only have the one word to work with in our passage, but the idea of faithfulness is referred to throughout the Bible with several different words, all of which paint something of a picture for us in understanding what faithfulness is. So Bible scholars will tell you that there's a whole host of words, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that are used by the biblical authors, all relating to this idea of faithfulness. In the Old Testament, there's a group of words all associated uh, that we tend to translate into English as steadfastness or truthfulness or reliability, to be reliable. And it's similar in the New Testament. Uh, There are Greek words in the New Testament rather than Hebrew in the Old Testament, but they're translated in similar ways. And so when Paul speaks of faithfulness, he's referring to a person who is truthful, reliable, person who's dependable. Uh, But as well as all these associated words that communicate to us something of the meaning of faithfulness, the way in which God's relationship with his people is spoken of throughout the Bible also helps us in understanding what it is to be faithful. Uh, Throughout the Bible, God's relationship with his people is repeatedly spoken of as one of faithfulness on God's part, And a relationship that's often characterized by unfaithfulness on the people's part. God is faithful to his people, even in the face of his people's constant unfaithfulness to him. And when this relationship is spoken of, the biblical authors often use certain images or metaphors to describe it, to describe this relationship. Uh, One of the most common images is the image of a marriage. God is a faithful husband to his unfaithful bride, his people. The image of a father-son relationship is also used. Jesus famously taught a parable in Luke 15 of a father who was faithful to his unfaithful sons. Other images are used to describe the faithfulness or the unfaithfulness that characterizes God's relationship with his people. The relationship between a king and its citizens. The relationship between different parties entering into a covenant together. And all of these images have one thing in common that gives us more insight into what Paul has in mind with faithfulness. Each of these images used in the Bible to describe the faithfulness of God or the unfaithfulness of his people are images of personal relationships. Person-to-person relationships. That means that when Paul speaks of the Christian being someone who is faithful... He's referring to the Christian being someone who is faithful in the context of personal relationships, both in relationship with God and with other people. Now, all of this presses home for us one of the most foundational things that we need to know and that we need to keep being brought back to, that the Christian life, to be a Christian, is not fundamentally to be a person of principle, Some of us, we we love thinking about principles. We have our principles and we go about applying them to our lives. Should I do this? Should I not do this? And when those principles are biblical principles, when they're shaped by the teaching of the Bible, then that is a good thing. But in itself, that is not what makes you a Christian. To be a Christian, we need to keep being reminded of this, is to have a personal faith in the God who is himself a personal being. That means he's to be related to on a personal level. 
Uh, This is what we affirmed earlier in the service in our affirmation of faith. Uh, I'm called a Christian, the Heidelberg Catechism teaches to say, because by faith I am a member of Christ. That is to say, I am so personally connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I'm in a personal relationship with him. I'm in a personal relationship with God through him. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And now through him, I am anointed with the Holy Spirit. I've taken on his name. And in response to all that comes to me, to you, if you're a Christian, as a result of being given his spirit and and being given his name, we now seek to live our lives motivated by thankfulness to him and we strive to do what is pleasing to him. To be a Christian is to have a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a personal relationship. And that personal relationship begins to then affect all of our other personal relationships with one another. Uh, One of the ways our relationships are to be affected is that we become more and more faithful in our relationships. We become more and more faithful to God as we become faithful to the teaching of his word. And we become more and more faithful to other people. And so right off the bat this afternoon, we are forced to ask ourselves, am I, are you living a life that is faithful to God? Are you somebody who is dependable and reliable in relation to other people? Do other people view you as a person who is trustworthy? This, Paul says, is something that is increasingly characteristic of a person whose life is being changed by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who has brought them into a new personal relationship with God. And so that briefly is what Paul has in mind when he refers to as being faithful. Secondly then, why is faithfulness important? Faithfulness is an important virtue for a variety of different reasons. But the importance of faithfulness becomes painfully apparent when we see the effects of unfaithfulness in relationships. Uh, Some of you have heard me mention this article before, uh, but a few years ago, another Christian minister linked to it and it stuck with me. It was an article that was published in the New York Times by an American journalist named Wendy Plump. And she wrote this article as a reflection on unfaithfulness in marriage. It was striking because it was a very personal reflection for the author. She had had at different times, uh, at, at different times, she had been both the perpetrator and the victim of infidelity in her marriage. So she writes at the beginning of the article, which was titled, A Room Full of Yearning and Regret. She says, Not long ago, the friend of a friend spent the night in a hotel room, which is sometimes what you do when you find out your spouse has been having a year-long affair. His flight was sadly predictable. It's all many of us are capable of after discovering such a betrayal. Though I'm sure he now realises that mere movement is not a fix for that kind of agony. I know this for two reasons, she writes. Number one, I have had an affair. And number two, I've been the victim of one. When you unfurl these two experiences in the sunlight for comparison and measure their worth and pain, the former is only marginally better than the latter, and both, frankly, are awful. 
In the rest of the article, the author gives an insight into the psychological effect that such a significant instance of unfaithfulness has on a person, on both parties, in fact. She writes about the feeling of her stomach dropping as she would go out to commit another act of infidelity, of constantly feeling the need to shower, feeling, she writes, like a train had struck her in the back when her son once asked her why she forgot his lacrosse game the other day and feeling breathless with misery as a result. When she then reflects on the experience from the other side, the experience of finding out about her husband's unfaithfulness, she speaks of it as something not far removed from post-traumatic stress. She writes of sleeplessness, anxiety and stress that affects your appetite and your physical health. She writes of feeling paranoid constantly and, and none of that is even to mention the effect of their unfaithfulness on family members, on friends, on other people. Why is faithfulness so important? One reason is simply that the opposite, unfaithfulness, is so destructive. Unfaithfulness destroys and tears relationships apart. And whilst unfaithfulness in marriages might be where we see that painful reality most clearly, it's certainly not the only relationship in which unfaithfulness causes such harm. Just think of how we can let one another down by saying we're going to do something, by giving someone our word and yet failing to be true to our word. What happens, even in small day-to-day situations in which we can be let down and we let others down, what happens is that trust is bit by bit eroded. The one who is unfaithful to their word now appears to be less trustworthy, less reliable, less faithful. Think of all the different ways that we can betray others and be betrayed ourselves. A colleague undermining our work to get ahead of us. A friend saying something about us behind our backs. What happens in each of those instances? Well, the relationship it doesn't carry on unaffected, but it's disaffected. It's affected negatively. Trust is chipped away over time by small acts of unfaithfulness, even if it may not be blown out of the water by one explosive act of unfaithfulness. And what happens as a result is that we're left longing for something which we might have at one time thought was insignificant, just simply faithfulness. The author of that New York Times article wrote towards the end of the article as she reflected on being on both ends of unfaithfulness in her marriage, that when you're the one who is living unfaithfully, she says, you will come to long for simple, honest pleasures like making dinner with your sons or going out to the movies movies without looking over your shoulder. From the other side, as you experience unfaithfulness, she writes, sooner or later... You will just want to be with someone who does what he says he is going to do, goes where he says he is going to go, and can be found any time you need him because he's not hiding. 
And you don't need to be married in order to relate to that desire for faithfulness in relationships. Unfaithfulness in relationships of any kind leaves us with this same sense of yearning. We might even begin to think when we're let down and and when we let others down, that there's nobody out there who is trustworthy, reliable, dependable. A faithful man, the wise sage of Proverbs lamented, who can find one? But clearly the Apostle Paul didn't view faithfulness as a mere myth, because he outlines for us that it's something that becomes more and more characteristic of the Christian. And so in a world that is marred by so much unfaithfulness, why did he have such certainty that faithfulness would be found in the life of the Christian? Well, thirdly, where we find it. What it is, why it's important. Thirdly, where we find it. We find faithfulness becomes more and more characteristic of the Christian because faithfulness before it is characteristic of us, is characteristic of God. And as we've seen with each of these virtues that Paul lists as the fruit of the Spirit, they are each first and foremost true about God. God is faithful. It's one of the most repeated descriptions of God throughout the Old Testament. We've seen it already in our, in our call to worship from Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness. To all generations, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. And in the version of Psalm 36, we sang, your steadfast love is great, O Lord, it reaches heaven high. Your faithfulness is wonderful, extending to the sky. In his very nature, that is to say, who he is most fundamentally, in his very nature, God is faithful. He is trustworthy without qualification. He's not trustworthy only in certain situations. Sometimes we recognize that another person is somebody who is trustworthy and dependable in certain situations. He's the kind of person you want in the trenches with you, uh, we say. And by that we mean he's the kind of person who you can depend on when it's getting tough. When it's getting tough, he's not a deserter. He's the kind of person who's dependable in certain circumstances. But God's not only dependable in certain circumstances, he is simply dependable. He is trustworthy, full stop. From another angle, we see his faithfulness in that he's perfectly truthful. He does not lie. He does not twist the truth. He does not deceive or manipulate. In fact, Paul wrote in another another of his letters in Titus 1 verse 2 that God never lies. And the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament writes that it is impossible for God to lie. Some of you might have seen the recent murder mystery film called Knives Out. Um, The one in which Daniel Craig has a kind of love it or hate it American accent. Uh, It's a classic murder mystery. There's an unexplained death at the beginning and then a detective in this, play, in this film played by Daniel Craig is brought in to try and solve the mystery. And one of the things a detective needs in that situation is witnesses. People who might have seen or heard things that are relevant to the case. And the detective needs those witnesses to be truthful, reliable, 
Not people who might twist the truth and subvert justice. Without giving anything away, Benoit Blanc, the detective in Knives Out, finds that there are plenty of unreliable witnesses in this case, plenty of people who have their own agenda when it comes to wanting somebody else to be framed for the murder, but there's one witness whom Benoit Blanc discovers is different to the rest. She's a, a young nurse who cared for the victim of the alleged murder, and when he interviews her, she can't hide the fact that she has a physical reaction whenever she fails to tell the truth If she's asked a question and she lies in answer to it, she vomits. Now, that might sound a bit gross, but the detective realises that here is somebody whom he can begin to build his case upon. Because here is somebody who, in one sense, cannot lie. So, in a world of unfaithfulness, where everyone is working to their own agenda... Benoit Blanc discovers somebody who is truthful and it anchors his case. It provides the foundation he needs to solve the murder. Something similar is true about God. When we discover that he is truthful, we have then an anchor for our lives. Because God cannot lie, we find in him the faithfulness that we each long for. He does not change. When he binds himself to his people in covenant love, in the steadfast love that we've already referenced, he never then falls out of love with his people. And he never strays beyond the boundaries of the covenant. He's faithful to all his promises. Every vow he has made, he perfectly fulfills. In a world in which everything changes and in which people we're in relationship with change. God is the faithful foundation we can build our lives upon. This is why a British Christian minister named John Flavel wrote back in the 1600s, a time may come when you shall not know where to trust in all of all this world. Let me therefore open to you this chamber of rest in the faithfulness of God. And it is well for us that his faithfulness is great, for great is that weight that leans upon us, even all our hopes for both worlds, for this world and that world to come. Friends, if you are feeling all at sea because you've been let down, because others have been unfaithful to you, friends, family, fellow Christians in the church, perhaps even ministers in the church, if various examples of unfaithfulness have chipped away at you and left you disoriented and confused, if as a result you just frequently find yourself feeling as though you just do not know what the way forward is for you in your life, then you need to find the comfort that is offered to you in the faithfulness of God. His love is steadfast and his faithfulness is all about him, (laughs) extending to the clouds. He will remain faithful even if you are to find yourself abandoned by every other person in your life. Yet there's a question that nags at us, isn't there, when we think about the faithfulness of God? It's all well and good that God is faithful, you might think. 
But what about the fact that I am unfaithful? Here we are in this covenant relationship with God, uh, between God and his people. And we can be absolutely certain that God will be faithful to us. But I know that I'm not faithful to him. I don't live faithfully in light of his word. I don't live the life that he calls me to live faithfully. What do we do with our countless examples of unfaithfulness to God? Well, we need to remember who it is that brings us into this relationship with God. We're brought into this relationship. Every Christian is brought into this relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only mediator between us and God. The only way that we get to benefit from and take comfort in the faithfulness of God is through faith in the Lord Jesus. And how did the Lord Jesus bring us into this relationship? He did so by living a life of perfect faithfulness. He was not unfaithful in the slightest. Not like we are. He was faithful. He was faithful to God in living a life of perfect obedience to God's law. And he faithfully completed the work the Father commissioned him to do. And his faithfulness in that regard, it took him to the cross where he offered up his life for our sin and paid the price for all of our unfaithfulness. And so what do we do then is the question. What do we do with our unfaithfulness? Well, the Lord Jesus has already dealt with it. He took our unfaithfulness upon himself. He carried it to his death. And when he rose from the dead three days later, he demonstrated that he had, as it were, left our unfaithfulness in the grave. And if there is any doubt in your mind this afternoon that your particular forms of unfaithfulness cannot be dealt with in this way, if there's any doubt that they can be dealt with in this way, then you need to remember that it is the God who declares that all who confess their sins and who trust in Christ are forgiven and cleansed, that same God cannot lie. If we confess our sins, the Apostle John wrote... God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so there is a foundation you can build your life upon. There is a basis upon which you can begin to move forward, even if you're left bewildered by the unfaithfulness of others, even when you're left disheartened by your own unfaithfulness. And so if faithfulness is trustworthiness, dependability, reliability in personal relationships, if it's important because unfaithfulness in so many different forms is so destructive, and if we find faithfulness first and foremost in God himself, then fourthly, finally and briefly, how do we then grow in it? How do we grow in faithfulness ourselves? Well, I want to be as practical as possible here as we close. One theologian and Christian minister named Petrus van Maastricht. He always sought to be as practical as possible after writing about even the deepest areas of theology. Uh, And at the end of his chapter on the faithfulness and trustworthiness of God, he laid out what it means for the Christian to be faithful. On account of the truth, faithfulness, 
and sincerity of God, he wrote, we should labour for truthfulness in all our words, faithfulness in all our promises, sincerity in all our deeds, and we should give ourselves to living consistently with the truth of God's word in the Bible. Are we truthful with our words? Or is truthfulness only a secondary priority when it comes to our speaking? Do we use our words to get what we want and manoeuvre people to do what we want rather than to communicate truth? Are we faithful in our promises? No matter who it is that we've made a promise to, who it is we've given our word to. Are we sincere in all that we do? Doing everything with genuineness and wholeheartedness. We trustworthy, reliable, dependable. And it's true, isn't it, that most of our lives consist in seemingly small day-to-day responsibilities. Words we speak to family and friends. Promises that we seek to fulfil to our spouses if we're married. To our fellow church members when we're members of a church. To our children who are under our responsibility to our employers and those we enter into contracts with. Routine responsibilities that we need to carry out at work, at home, at church. And these things might seem insignificant to us, but it's in these things primarily that we're called to be faithful, to be truthful, to be sincere. You don't need to go and find a new situation in which you can grow in faithfulness. Because faithfulness is to characterise our entire lives in all of our relationships. Husbands, are you living faithfully in relation to your wives? Wives, in relation to your husbands? The vows that you made to one another? The marriage covenant that you've entered into? Are you honouring it in a life of faithfulness? Can your spouse depend upon you? Count on you? Know that you're there? Being a member of a church involves commitment too. Those of you who are members here at Trinity, you've made certain promises to live faithfully as a Christian in your life before God and in relation to your brothers and sisters in the church. Could it be said of you that you are a faithful church member? And in all the countless other relationships we find ourselves in, Are we characterised by faithfulness? How do we grow in faithfulness? It begins as we confess our unfaithfulness to the Lord. As he assures us then of of his faithful forgiveness. He faithfully works in us by his Holy Spirit to make us more and more like the most faithful person who ever lived. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And that life of faithfulness works itself out in all of the seemingly small details. Friends, what a blessing it is to know somebody who is faithful. Remember what the the author of that New York Times article wrote? That with, with so much unfaithfulness within her, outside of her, she just found herself longing for somebody who does what he says he's going to do, goes where he says he's going to go, and can be found anytime you need him because he's not hiding. Is that true of you? 
Is that true of us? In light of that, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith and what it means to live as a Christian, please do get in touch. You can email hello at trinitychester.church or head to the Connect page on our website, trinitychester.church forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you soon.